0: From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is for what it's worth with Rabina Ahmed Hoc. Welcome to the program. I'm Rabina Ahmed Hoc. This is for what it's worth. It's been a really exciting week in the world of personal finance. A lot of big stories. Uh, coming out this week when it comes to our economy when it comes to how the banks are doing now this next story it's like you know the world's smallest violin the five big banks have been reporting their profits and they're down since last year Royal Bank of Canada reported its first quarter profits uh over three billion dollars saying it's down from over billion last year at this time. They're saying they're losing money uh, because they've had to shore up some cash on the side uh, with this possibility that many of their customers may default on their loans. So they're actually creating a rainy day fund in expectation that many of their customers may not be able to pay their car loans and mortgages and their lines of credit back. And so that's why they're seeing their profits fall year over year. But still, you know, they still made $3 billion. It's not like we're going to feel sorry for them. And that's the same story uh, for the other big banks that have been reporting as well. Uh, many of them also saying that some of their investment banking profits are down. Uh, the market Markets have been uh, lower in 2023, and that is, of course, having an impact on their investment banking arm. So, uh, an interesting story won't really have much impact on us as customers. Uh, we still will see, you know, the same fees that we see with our bank accounts, and uh, if you go into overdraft, you're still going to have to pay that fee. But it really does have an impact uh, on the bank's business. It's more how they move their money around, make sure that they have money. Uh, on the side uh, for the possibility of uh, customers defaulting. Now, if customers do start defaulting, then we could see some of our banking fees go up because that's actually going to have a big impact on how they can do their business. Um, As well this week, we got some GDP numbers. New GDP numbers show that Canada's economy didn't grow in the last quarter of 2022. It actually shrank Now, this might sound like a bad news story because you think, well, you don't want the economy to shrink because that sounds like uh, it's not good for my job, not good for my wallet. But this is actually good news for the Bank of Canada that has been trying to cool the economy down. This is proof that their interest rate hikes are working that businesses are not spending as much, consumers are not spending as much, and that is having a cooling effect on the economy. And that is good news for any of us that are worried about our ability to pay our mortgage, because the Bank of Canada may indeed slow raising those interest rates, because they'll look at these numbers and say, the interest rate hikes that we've already done are working. Let's wait and see how they work themselves through the economy rather than overstepping and really shrinking the economy and causing another problem now trying to revive the economy on the other end. Uh, we are going to be talking about lines of credit, home equity lines of credit. These are these secured lines of credit that you can get uh, that are secured against the value of your home. Many Canadian homeowners have gone and applied and been approved for one. Uh, many of us use it as a an emergency line, or maybe we can you know, use it to renovate our home or go on a holiday. It's easy access to cash, and up until a year ago, it was pretty cheap too. Well, interest rates have been going up, home values have been falling, and that is having an impact on Canadians' home equity lines of credit. And some homeowners are getting a call from the bank that the terms of their agreement Has changed. So we're going to break that conversation down. If you have a home equity line of credit, even a small one, and even if you haven't borrowed any money against the value of your home, you should still listen to this conversation because many of us have never experienced this before. For the first time in 20 years, home values are going down and interest rates are rising. And that is changing uh, the relationship you have with your bank when it comes to your HELOC. And as well, re-advanceable mortgages. I'm going to explain what that is at the end of the show, but re-advanceable mortgages, or rather re-advanceable credit is no longer uh, going to be available to homeowners. They're considered too risky. And uh, uh, now there is calls to not Uh, allow homeowners to have access to those. We have that and many other stories to talk about in the show today. I hope you stick around. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to be speaking to a real estate expert about those home equity lines of credit and how they are changing as our home values fall. I'm Rubina Ahmed Haq, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina Ahmed-Hawk. In Canada, we have seen our home values decline more than 18% on average year over year. Now, that doesn't feel good to homeowners because all of a sudden you feel like your home is worth less because it is actually worth less but it also can have an impact on your home equity line of credit. These are these credit lines that are secured by the value of your home that many Canadians have taken out as they've seen their home values rise. You go to the bank, you say, I've got $300,000 equity in my home. Can you give me some access to that? And they give it to you in in the form of a home equity line of credit. Now, with home values coming down, It is having an impact on them and that relationship that you have with the bank could change as well. The bank could actually change the terms of your HELOC. And this is something many Canadian homeowners are unaware of. Well, to talk about this and what you should do if you get a call from your bank asking you to pay your HELOC back, we're joined by Romana King. She's a real estate expert. She's the author of House Poor No More and the senior finance editor at Finder.com, a rate comparison website. Hi, Romana. Welcome to the program.
1: Great to be here, Ramina.
0: So I want to start by asking you first what is a HELOC for those who may not understand that kind of credit line.
1: Sure, a HELOC is a loan, but it's secured against the the value or or, or the money that you've you've got in your home. So if you have a $500,000 home and you've paid 250,000 off of the mortgage, then you have, technically speaking, 250000 in value in that home. A HELOC allows you to take some of that value, some of that equity, and borrow against it from the bank so you can use those funds in a different way.
0: Now, when we're assessed for our HELOC, they assess it on the current value of your home at the time when you're making that application. How uh, can, how can the, the price of homes falling, how can that impact how much credit you may have
1: available to you in that HELOC? Well, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, really big, big, long name, OSFI, actually sets regulations and rules about HELOCs. So all lenders have to abide by these rules. And what they say is that you cannot get a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, that is 65% greater than the value of your home. So if you've got a $100,000 home, you can only get $65,000 in a HELOC against that home. Plus, you also cannot have a mortgage plus a HELOC that is more than 80% value of your home. So quite, quite easily, you can see if your home drops significantly in value, and you've maxed your your mortgage and your HELOC out, and now you're above that 80% threshold, the bank is probably going to say, hey, we're not within uh, you know, compliance regulations. Knock, knock, where's our money?
0: Is this something that Canadians uh, know about? I I teased it at the beginning there that I don't think that many homeowners are aware that the terms of their HELOC can change
1: even years after they opened it. Well, I mean, why would we? We've never really, I mean, in the last decade, two decades, we haven't been in a situation where home prices have dropped and rates have gone up. In fact, we've been in, in sort of a historical place where, interest rates have been so historically low that it was very easy to actually get access to lots and lots of big loan amounts for re- relatively cheap. Well, in the last 12 months, we've seen that rates have gone up and that has actually slowed the real estate market down, which has pushed prices down. So now we're in that perfect storm of events where you've got rates going up, prices coming down. Suddenly though, that that what was a very simple equation no more than 80% when you include your mortgage in HELOC that can actually become unbalanced and suddenly those that fine print that we have when we sign that loan suddenly that becomes you know a big a big deal and the banks then go and they say you know listen you're 85% of your the value of your home you need to pay back you need to pay down your your a of credit line of credit um, talk to me a little bit about how HELOCs
0: are different from mortgages, uh, how a HELOC is a callable loan, whereas a mortgage uh, is not. Explain the difference between uh, the two types of way of borrowing uh, when it comes to uh, your your home.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a really great point, because often we'll say, well, I owe this against my home. What What is the difference? A mortgage is a contract for a specified period of time. With that contract comes rules and regulations, part of which are penalties. If you break your contract, you must pay a penalty. If you have a fixed rate mortgage, then the penalty can be quite high. If you have a a variable rate interest, the penalty is not as high, but you still have that penalty. And often that's thousands of dollars just to break that mortgage in order to get into another mortgage. The reason why that exists is because the banks need to show on their book of records, hey, we can guarantee this sort of income in the next five, 10 years based on these debts. So that's why you've got certain rules for mortgages. When it comes to a HELOC or a personal loan or any type of loan, you don't have the same type of regulations and so you can break or stop that loan at any point, which means the bank or the lender can't actually guarantee the income, the interest that you pay, on that loan, which means it's a riskier investment for them. An investment meaning if they they allow you to borrow money, they're going to earn the income from the interest. That's an investment. And so they want to make sure that there are certain things they can do to make sure they can protect the the, the risk or, or downsize their risk. One of the ways they do that is to make sure they can call that loan if the values on on that loan change, as we're seeing with the HELOCs. If you've got more than a HELOC that's more than sixty five percent value of your home, suddenly the bank comes calling and says, "Hey, we have to re- we have to balance that again. Either roll it into a mortgage, which means now you're locked into those payments, or pay that HELOC down."
0: And when you're paying that HELOC down, that credit that you once applied for and were approved for may no longer be available. I, from my understanding, uh, many homeowners, are, uh, they have a HELOC that they are paying down, but as they're doing that, the money that they're paying down is not becoming uh, available to them on the other side. Uh, have you been hearing these types of stories
1: where these readvanceable loans are becoming
0: less and less uh, available to homeowners?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still quite possible to get a HELOC, but the, the the amount that you can get is certainly diminishing. And yes, if you had a HELOC and you had, you know, for simple math, you had $100,000, no mortgage on your house, and you got a HELOC for $65,000, and then suddenly the value of your home dropped, you're going to see the, the the amount that you can borrow against that HELOC also drop and until you make those ratios you know, and this is assuming that you're, you know, a customer with excellent credit and, you know, stable income. If those things also change, your ratios will change again and you'll get even less room in you heal off. So yes, you're seeing people pay back that loan and then not have the ability to reborrow that. And it almost feels like, hey, that's not really fair. I, I had this money, but it wasn't our money to begin with. We almost have to change our mindset and realize we had access to that money, but it was borrowed money. It was someone else's money. I was paying for the privilege of using it. So now I really need to look at, you know do I, do I need it? If I don't need it, then I shouldn't be paying for that privilege, particularly since HELOC rates have gone up significantly in the last 12 months. And we're speaking to Ramana King. She's a real estate
0: expert talking about the future of HELOCs. Now I made that comment about readvanceable uh loans or mortgages. Uh, uh, really that refers to when you get a mortgage with a bank, uh, as you are paying your mortgage down, that money is becoming available on the other side, so to speak. So if you're paying say X amount of you know, $1,000 down, maybe 500 of that is now available in a, in a HELOC if you've been pre-approved uh, to, to be able to access that. Um, uh, uh, OSFI is is getting rid of those. Uh, they're finding those uh, too problematic, too risky, especially like you said, with interest rates going up and uh, and home values uh, going down for the first time in two decades. Uh, Helocs have been a, a way for many Canadians to manage their personal finances. If an emergency happens, if they need to uh, invest some money somewhere and they don't have cash, they they use their heloc to to sort of bridge that time. What's your opinion of that? Using your heloc to deal with unexpected events and and last minute uh, financial obligations.
1: Well. I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of using other people's money when it's cost effective. And and that's actually the the caveat here, cost effective. So when, you know, debt was really, really cheap when I was paying 2% for a HELOC, yes, I actually did take money out of my home equity and I invested it into the stock market. Why? Because I wanted to diversify. I had a lot of equity in my home that's very geographically specific for an investment. It's not really an investment because it's my home. So I said, you know what, I'm going to diversify, take that money and invest it in the stock market and what I would consider, you know, fairly safe, balanced uh, funds. Uh, but now HELOCs, you know, they've gone up and in interest-only payments have gone up four times in the last year, about four times in the last year. And, and as a result, it's quite a bit more expensive. So is it does it still make sense? Well, I have to do those numbers. I have to make that calculation. Does it still make sense to, to pay that interest, even though it's tax deductible, for money that's invested in a stock market that's also gone down? So when, when you ask me, am I a fan, I'm a fan if the math makes sense. But I think that's unfortunate because a lot of people don't do the math. They don't realize that just because you take it out and you invest, it doesn't make it a good investment. You know, there, it, it's it's more nuanced than is this good debt or bad debt. You have to ask, is it good bad debt or bad good debt? Or you know, it gets kind of complicated sometimes. So really, what what my my personal preference is, you should have money in an in, a, in an emergency fund for those unexpected. I guess what I would call living cost expenses, your appliance breaks, your car breaks down, you know, a couple of thousand dollars out of your pocket that you don't want to put on a credit card because that's a very expensive way to, to incur debt. That's when a HELOC really makes sense, or sorry, when an emergency fund really makes sense. A HELOC makes sense for, you know, when you have nine months of unemployment that was unanticipated and you've already burned through that emergency fund that you had in your TFSA, hey, then a HELOC would make sense. Why? Because again, you don't wanna go to high interest debt like credit cards, and you still need to be able to pay your bills. But on top of that, Taking money out of your home equity right now to invest, I would really, really strongly suggest that people take a look at the math. I know that we did in my household and we actually cashed out some of our investments and paid back some of our HELOC, again, because we wanted to manage the cost of actually borrowing money because it didn't make as much sense anymore with debt actually increasing in the cost of, of using that debt. One last question,
0: uh, Romana, you said, made a comment that your home, your primary residence is not really uh, an
1: investment. I believe that's how you put it.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we. it is an investment, but it's not like I, I'm not going to pretend that a house isn't an asset that appreciates and depreciates. It absolutely does. But the thing is we don't buy the home and, and this is really important it's not a house or a condo or or, or a townhouse it's a home it's a place where i set down roots and i build community and i i build my life there that isn't an investment it's it's not the decision to do that isn't based on monetary reasons good case in point is me. We did not buy our home based on just sound economic principles. In fact, if we had waited a couple of years, we probably could have gotten it at a a cheaper price. But we didn't want to wait because our kids were going into school and it was important for us to set down roots. So my home, although it's an appreciating or depreciating asset, is also not an investment because it's a lifestyle choice. So as a result, I have to really understand the pros and cons of, of putting that on my spreadsheet, putting it in my net worth statement and understanding I'm not going to liquidate my home just so that I can have a retirement fund because I still need a place to live. That decision needs to come based on a whole bunch of other factors. So bearing that in mind, I still need to understand that I have an asset, but I really also need to understand how I'm going to use that asset and the, the real value of that asset. Ramona, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is something that a lot of
0: homeowners are not aware of. And uh, a lot of us who do have home equity lines of credit should be uh, in the know that a bank can call at any time, reduce that amount, and also ask us to pay it back more quickly. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Rubina.
0: That's Romana King. She's a real estate expert and the author of House Poor No More. If you want to get her book, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, she's also the senior finance editor at finder.com, a rate comparison website, talking about HELOCs today with Romana and how many of us have taken these big juicy HELOCs out and we think that, well, that money's going to be available to us forever. It in fact can be called back at any time. That's why it's a callable loan. I'm Rabina Ahmed Haq. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this new buzzword called quiet hiring. I'm Rabina Ahmed Haq. And this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. All heard about quiet quitting. This idea that if you're not happy with your job anymore you just slowly start doing less and less during the workday hoping your boss doesn't notice. This is a way for many employees to manage that extra work that's being put on them or the fact that they're just not happy anymore in their job. But there's also something else happening that may be stressing some employees out. It's called Quiet hiring. With the tight labor market that we have right now, a lot of employers are scrambling to find talent to fill those jobs. And until they do, they're putting some of the burden on their current employees, giving them more and more tasks and not necessarily more and more money. Well, to talk about quiet hiring, what it is and what can you do if it happens to you, we're joined by Janet Candido. She's an HR expert and founder and principal of Candido Consulting Group, Welcome to the program, Janet.
2: Welcome. Thank you for having me. So tell me,
0: I gave a little synopsis of what quiet quitting is, but from your point of view, what what is quiet quitting?
2: Well, I think you described it really well, Rubina. It's when employees start to become frustrated with the demands that are being put on them uh, and they essentially work to rule. I'm coming in at nine, I'm leaving at five, whether that's in office or remotely. And you can't ask for another minute, just not doing it. And now there's
0: the uh, something else happening, which actually might lead to people quiet quitting, which is quiet <laughs> hiring. So tell me a little bit more about this new phenomena that a lot of employees are
2: experiencing. So I'll say, first of all, it's not actually new. It's just something that has quietly been going on, but it's really increased in, uh, in um, prevalence recently. But it means that employers are redeploying their existing staff, essentially. They're getting more bandwidth without hiring more people. Existing employees are doing more. Not all of them necessarily, but some of them. And so explain how this can
0: happen. I mean, like you said, this has been going on forever. I mean, everyone has this, where they have a job and all of a sudden they're they get a new project or they're in charge of a new group, but they're not getting much recognition, not much extra money. But has it been happening more because of what we've been experiencing during this labor shortage during a pandemic when um, highly skilled people just may not be available to to work?
2: I think it has been happening more and that's one of the reasons the very tight labor market is definitely one of the reasons why this is happening because if you can't bring in people externally to fill those gaps in your workplace you're going to look internally to see well how else can I get it done. But I think another reason why it's happening is the, particularly for companies that really struggled through the pandemic and don't have great economic resources right now. You know, they're still they're still struggling. They're still trying to get on their feet. Hiring a new employee can be really expensive. So they're going to try to get more out of their existing employees as much as possible.
0: Yeah, onboarding is a very expensive exercise for companies, especially if that person doesn't stick around for very long. So you get them all trained up and then after six months, they find something else because that's the kind of market we're in, too, right? Where people are always looking for bigger and better, more pay, better working conditions. Uh, but for a person who is experiencing uh, quiet uh, hiring, So they, they, they are feeling like they're just getting more and more work. What can they do to voice their opinion to their manager or their boss that just not, they just don't want to be doing more and more work without more and more uh, compensation?
2: Well, I, and I think that they should speak to their manager about it. It doesn't do any good to sit and stew. And by speaking to your manager, I don't mean going in and giving them an ultimatum or having an angry conflict conversation but a recognition that I am really happy to be doing this I'm learning new things I'm being stretched I'm being I'm growing this is really great but I would like to see commensurate uh, increase in my compensation to account for this Yeah, I think that, you know, we
0: all have experienced this and it's just so uncomfortable to bring it up because you don't want to look like you don't appreciate your job or that you're not willing to take on more work, which then can sometimes lead to promotion. But at the same time, you don't want to burn out and then become completely uh, unable to do that work because you're just uh, you're just exhausted from uh, from all the extra that you've been doing. What are some of the pitfalls of companies that decide, you know, I can't find that talented worker, but I'm just going to put more and more work on the people that I have or even worse I, and this has happened so many times uh, not, not necessarily personally in my experience, but I've heard so many times someone quits and rather than the, the company rehiring for that position, they just sort of divvy that person's job amongst a few people.
2: Well I think the biggest bit pitfall is what you were just talking about and the, it's the risk of burning out your employees. And if you're not if you're not addressing it properly with them, demotivating demoralizing making them easier to pick off for for another company that's coming out there looking for them i think that that's the biggest bit, uh, pitfall for an employer is if you don't do this right you run the risk of burning out your existing employees oh. and having both recruitment and retention problems
0: all these terms that have come up during the pandemic, quiet hiring, quiet quitting, uh, you know, uh, people leaving their jobs, mass, I, I can't remember the exact, it was a mass retirement or mass exodus of people leaving, all these sort of terms that have come up. This stuff has been happening before the last three years. Do you think the pandemic has put a lens on some of the problems that we've been experiencing at work because we've just been forced to reflect on what work and
2: work-life balance means to us? Absolutely. mean, the, the consequences of the pandemic on the workplace have been pretty extreme and I, and I don't think we've seen an end to them yet. You know, you've had what I've called an erosion of the employer-employee relationship which then gives rise to things like quiet quitting and quiet hiring because you don't have that, that connection that was there before and you're struggling to reform that connection and, and other things can interfere. Again, like quiet hiring, quiet quitting. You just don't have that, that same feeling between the two. So I see it definitely as a consequence of, uh, of the pandemic or more specifically a consequence of the, um, how we had to work to deal with the remote working or not working as we were dealing with the uh, pandemic.
0: We're speaking to Janet Candido, she's an HR expert and founder and principal of Candido Consulting Group about quiet hiring, this idea that you know many of us have experienced where uh, somebody is let go or somebody leaves the company or there's more work that the company takes on and rather than putting more people into uh, the office and, and divvying up that work, they just, Give it to somebody who already is there and making their workload uh, that much more um, you know here on for what it's worth Janet what we try to do is we try to give people uh, takeaways something that they can go and immediately put into practice in their in their day to day life if if someone's listening to this and saying, you know what in the last six months, I have felt like I've taken on a lot more work. And I haven't really been uh, compensated and I haven't been recognized for it. I haven't got a new title for it. I know you said to go in and talk to uh, your boss as the, a as, as the first move, but is there anything else that that employee should be doing just to protect themselves and the job that they have?
2: Sure. Like before you go in and talk to your boss, document what you were doing and what you're doing now so that you can demonstrate that you actually are doing more. Otherwise, you run the risk of going in there and saying, I feel like I'm doing this, but we don't really know. So document what you were doing, document what you're doing now, and how much more that has added to your week. And focus not just on the duties, but focus on what you are accomplishing for the organization. Focus on the benefits to the organization of all that extra work you've been taking on. When you go in and talk to your boss, no ultimatums, no anger, no threatening. Just go in and very calmly say, you know, this is what I've been seeing over the last few months, and I would like to speak to you about an increase in my salary.
0: And for the other side of it, employers, because they're facing higher cost of doing business, just generally higher cost of living, even for themselves, and they're trying to keep their business afloat after what has been an extraordinary uh, three years, if they are thinking about, okay, giving somebody more responsibility in order to scale their own business, how should they approach that employee so that they, they continue to get the best out of them without making them feel like they're being taken advantage of?
2: Well, I like to um, tell employers to be as transparent as possible. So um, go to your employee, I need somebody to do this I think this is particularly well suited for you. And I would like you to take this on. Um, You can even, depending on your relationship with them, be honest and say, I can't afford to hire anybody new right now. And I uh, I would like you to take this on. And I am going to give you an increase in your salary. However much you increase their salary is never going to be as much as hiring another person. So you can afford to to provide your worker with a bit more. Also, if you're giving them an opportunity to learn new skills, get new experiences, which helps them as much as it helps the company, be open and honest about that. This is a stretch assignment for you. I'm confident you can do it and i think it will be really good for you but don't pretend it's just going to be really good for them acknowledge that it's also really good for you this is a win win here right some really good advice there janet
0: for both employee and employers cuz this is these are really unusual times that we're living in uh when it comes to the labor market we continue to add jobs and companies continue to it feels like continue to look for more and more people uh, to join uh, their workforce. It just feels like we're never catching up. You know, there's just this gap that just can't be filled. And so this quiet hiring quiet quitting is just going to continue to happen uh, until we, we, we get into more normal uh, labor conditions. So this conversation has been really helpful. Thanks, Janet.
2: Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. That's Janet Candido.
0: She's HR expert and founder and principal of Candido consulting group, talking about quiet hiring. We are going to take a quick, quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a bank that's hired some really unique financial stress companions. I know you've seen the commercials. When you go in to talk about your money, they've got a really unique way of helping people just feel a little bit more relaxed. And I've got a bit of an opinion about that. I'm Rubina Ahmed hoc, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. Have you seen these commercials on television? If anyone watches television anymore, uh, CIBC Bank is offering financial stress companions uh, to invest to clients that come in that are stressed about their money, they're offering them therapy dogs to sit with that you can pet and talk about your money. And at first when I was watching these commercials, I actually thought it was a joke. I actually thought that this was something maybe they were making fun of or they were poking fun at something that maybe I didn't understand. And then I saw the commercial over and over again and I'm like, ah, They're actually doing this experiment. Now, I'm not knocking CIBC. I think anything that you can do to make your clients feel more comfortable, especially when it comes to talking about their money, is positive. But I just thought it was a little bit quirky. I guess that's the only way I can explain it. A little bit, maybe it's not my cup of tea. I wouldn't want to sit with a dog and pet the dog and talk about my money. But I guess for some people, that will make them feel calmer. So it's a it's an experiment that they did uh, with one. Uh, you know, they hired a big film crew to come in. This financial stress companions experiment was filmed in branches. You see people sitting there with these uh, therapy dogs and petting them, and it makes them feel better about talking about their money. Money. I think the real message is, uh, is that money is stressful to talk about. And anything that um, anyone can do to sort of bring that stress level down is positive. But I just, in the beginning when I saw the commercial, I didn't actually believe it was a real thing. It's only after I saw it a couple of times. And then I had it sort of on. So I rew- I rewinded, you know, you can rewind live TV now. Rewind, rewinded it, rewound, rewind, and uh, and watched it again. I'm like, oh, it is a real thing they're actually really doing it so they they have done this you know as a way to show that they are a bank that cares so maybe if you're at a cibc bank they may offer you a small lapdog to sit with as you talk about your money but i think it's really important uh, if you are stressing about your money uh to sp- to speak to someone there is uh financial therapists that are available so these are uh, individuals that actually just help you through some of the trauma that you might feel with your money. Maybe you grew up in a household that money were, where money was always tight, money was always a point of argument. So there may be things that you need to talk about to get through, uh, to actually get to a place where you feel financially well. If you were never taught positive things about money or given positive ideas about money, how can you in adult life actually feel good about it if you've never experienced that? So I get what CIBC is doing. I just thought it was a little bit... Something I didn't expect, but you can watch the commercial. I'll share it on my Twitter, actually, on Rubina Ahmed Huck, and you can watch the commercial about these financial stress companions, a CIBC experiment to see if people can feel more comfortable talking about their money when they come into a branch to speak to their financial advisor. Um, if you are traveling outside of Canada, Uh, You can expect to pay more for roaming. Uh, All the big telecoms are raising their roaming rates uh, starting March 8th, so starting basically um, this week. Uh, They are going to be, Chalice, for example, is going to be charging $14 a day on devices if you go to the U.S., $16 if you go internationally, and that's up from $12 and $15, respectively. And this just means it's more expensive for Canadians to use their mobile phone. And it's frustrating because we pay some of the highest mobile rates in the world, Anyone who's been to uh, Europe or Asia or even in the United States knows how much uh, cheaper it is to carry a smartphone in those countries, in those continent- on those continents. Uh, I was in Thailand a month ago, and I would highly recommend that if you are traveling, especially if you're going to be there for more than a week, that you get an e-SIM. They're available at all the airports. Uh, if you have a newer generation, especially iPhone, uh, they can do it without even putting a new SIM in. It can be done uh, completely digitally. And what that does is that it gives you a local phone number. So you can make calls and not worry about the costs. And then you can get data on your phone and you can use that data and not worry about the roaming charges. Yes, there is a downfall where you cannot use your Canadian number, but hopefully if you're traveling, you've got your email, you know, out of office out. And if people need to reach you, you can even just put in your email. This is the number to reach me at or WhatsApp me at. So it takes a little bit of work, but the eSIM for me, I think it was $20, for two weeks. And it was unlimited data. And I got to say, it was pretty fast, uh, the the uh, speed that I got, uh, the internet speeds that I would get when I was traveling around uh, the country. So that's a way to get around these higher roaming charges. And before I let you go, I wanted to talk about uh, something, a new buzzword in the employment world, the workforce. It's called Bare Minimum Monday. And what Bare Minimum Monday is, is this, this idea that we need an extra day after the weekend to really uh, get into our work week and that two days is not enough for most of us to uh, really relax and recuperate from the week that we've just had. So a lot of employees are using Monday as uh, as a day to actually just take it easy, uh, you know, maybe catch up on some stuff, but not really work at their full capacity. Now I think this is pretty, pretty, common for many of us on Monday morning. We feel a little bit tired. We're not really at our full full uh, capacity until maybe Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday when we really get going. Uh, but, you know, these these buzzwords that have been coming out, quiet quitting, quiet hiring, which we talked about earlier today, and bare minimum Monday, I mean, it really is just a reflection of many employees saying, you know, I'm kind of sick and tired of of, uh, my company asking me to do more work than I can actually get done and me feeling burnt out. So this is a way of uh, rebelling against uh, a little bit of that and saying that, you know what, I'm going to take Monday to take it easy, maybe prepare for my week rather than get actual work done. I wanted to do some quick take- takeaways from the show today. Uh, definitely the quiet hiring is something that, you know, it's a, it's a buzzword that has now been, uh, coined just like bare minimum Monday. Uh, this is this idea that employers, uh, they are taking advantage of their employees by uh, giving them more and more work. So the labor force is super tight. They can't find talented workers or highly skilled workers. So rather than going out there and trying to find someone on board them, they just give more work to the employees that are already there. So it's quiet hiring. It's like you're creating more jobs without actually paying more money. And this is really a reflection on companies, that companies need to pay more attention because if they continue to do this, their workforce is going to burn out and they're going to end up either quitting or um, taking time off and absenteeism rates will go up. So really quiet hiring is not a positive way to run your business. And with HELOCs, if you've got a home equity line of credit, that conversation with Ramana King earlier in the program today really does open many homeowners eyes about how their Home equity line of credit is not just money that's going to be available to them forever. It's a callable loan. It's a loan that can be called back. Reversible, um, rather readvanceable mortgages are coming to an end. So this is these are these mortgages that you get at the bank that as you're paying your mortgage down, that money on the other side is becoming available in the form of a line of credit. It's now seen as too risky and banks are being asked to wind those down. So if you've got a home equity line of credit or if you have one of these readvanceable mortgages, uh, your terms are going to change and you will not have access to as much credit. And you should be speaking to your bank uh, about how you can make sure that you aren't over leveraged, that you are on a payment schedule that reflects the true value of the home that you are living in. It has been a wonderful program. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you learned something uh, from this hour, learned something a little bit, especially about your mortgages and how um, your, your home equity lines of credit and how they can change and how they're different from your mortgages, right? They're not too, they're not the same product. Uh, so that's something that I hope uh, homeowners can can take away from today. Uh, we will have a brand new show next week, same time, same channel. I hope you will join me. Thank you so much to the technical producers, James Petrovic and Bilal Mazri. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.